BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welcome to the Schmo Zone, where the air is thin, the sports get heavy. With your hosts, the dynamic duo, Dave Schmolenson and Helen Yee. What is good, party people? It is Tuesday afternoon here in beautiful, rainy Las Vegas, 2 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. This is the Schmo Zone on ESPN Radio. I'm Dave Schmolenson. And I'm Helen Yee Sports. And we have a great show for you all today. We just came back from Anaheim, California, covering UFC 298 and catching NBA All-Star Weekend. Yeah, well, first off, being in Anaheim for UFC 298, Exciting fights, right? We have a new champion in Ilya Toporia, who you actually just interviewed during the NFL Super Bowl week. That's you went right. to his hotel room. That's right. He was finishing up his training camp here in Las Vegas because you have the UFCPI right here. Very well accessible for athletes to get their training in, to get their PT, get testing done, whatever they need to get done right here in Las Vegas. Ilya Taporia, talk about confidence. Undefeated, puts on his Instagram bio that he is going to be 15-0. He is going to be the next champion in the featherweight division, and he stays undefeated. He told me when I interviewed him one-on-one that he would knock out Alexander Volkanovsky in the first round. It didn't happen in the first round, but it happened in the second round. The first man to finish Volkanovsky with Volkanovsky competing in the featherweight division Obviously, Volkanovski's coming off his first knockout prior to this, going for gold in the 155-pound weight division against Islam Makachev. He came up short, there to be great. He's one of the great pound-for-pound fighters that the UFC has ever seen, currently as well, and Ilya Taporia and new. Yeah, that was such an amazing fight. And also, Real Madrid, who's the most followed sports account on Instagram, I think they have like over 153 million followers. They congratulated Elia. I think they did some collab posts with him. But I know your relationship with Elia, you've always had a great one, not only with him, but also with Alex Volkanovsky. But you've even like cut weight, or you didn't cut weight, but you went to his room, his fight before, and helped him cut weight through drinking wine? Yeah, I believe it was a couple of fights ago. It was here in Las Vegas. He was fighting Bryce Mitchell. Part of his way in coming up and fighting a top 10 contender in the featherweight division, part of his ritual is celebrating the weight cut and how they celebrate the weight cut. Once the weight comes off, they bust out bottles of red wine and Ilya drinks like half a bottle of red wine as part of his weight cutting process that Thursday night, hours before the Friday morning weight cut. They drink wine. And you drink it too with him. I drink it with him. Celebratory. Good wine. And it's great wine. <laughs> Spanish wine. And he's been undefeated, right? So something must be working. Exactly. <laughs> and I, I actually think he's going to be a global superstar. And I think Dana White mentioned in the post-fight press conference that, hey, maybe they do it in Spain and 
one of the stadiums. And that's a topic you and I were discussing driving over here, too, is who could be the next global superstars in the UFC? With the question still remaining, is Conor McGregor legitimately going to return? Does he return in the UFC? Does he return in the WWE? He has a movie coming out with Jake Jolenhall that's being released here pretty soon. Does he return? And who are the global superstars? And Ilya Taporia is a name to remember because he is undefeated. He's charismatic. He finishes his opponents, like fun you just said. Fun to watch. He's got the country of Spain on his back, and he also has the country of Georgia yeah. on his back as well. He might be the guy that's you know butting heads as the next up-and-coming star in the UFC. I completely agree with you. And as for Volkanovski, like you mentioned, you know, coming back from that knockout loss just four months ago and then now fighting Elia, getting knocked out again. In my opinion, I think he's definitely deserved and earned some time off. So I truly hope to see him take some time off before he considers getting back in there because I know he wants that rematch. Absolutely no rush whatsoever. See how things play out. There's a big fight in the featherweight division this upcoming weekend in Mexico City between Brian Ortega and Yair Rodriguez. Max Holloway's going up to 155 to challenge Justin Gaethje for the BMF belt at UFC 300. There's a lot of things that need to shake out and play out, so he should take his time. He's earned that. He really has beaten everybody in the featherweight division up until this point, so let him take that break. Some other key fights that we saw was Marab Davalashvili beating the Olympic champion, the former double champ Henry Cejudo, and this seems to be it for Henry Cejudo, his last fight, and Marab Davalashvili cements himself as the number one contender in the Bantamweight division to challenge the winner of Marlon Chito Vera and Sugar Sean O'Malley, who will be fighting Miami March 9th at UFC 299. And Marab does train here in Las Vegas, but Henry, on the note of him, this is his second retirement, and he didn't get a post-fight speech or post-fight retirement announcement. I don't even think we've heard from him since. We haven't, but, I mean, it's it's a tough loss. It's a very competitive fight that he had, just like in his most recent fight with Aljamain Sterling, where he came up short when it came down to a decision. I don't think it was as competitive as that, though, in my opinion. You're right. You're right, because it, it came down to the wire against Aljamain Sterling, and Marab, look, that lasting image of him picking up the Olympic gold medalist wrestler. Oh, my gosh. And just dragging him to the other side of the yeah. cage in front of Dana White, in front of Mark Zuckerberg, who were sitting cage side at the time and just throwing him on the ground, that's got to sink in and hurt a lot for him. Well, especially because Henry loves telling everybody, like over and over again, how he's the 2008 Olympic gold medalist in wrestling. So for that to happen to him, I kind of don't blame him for not saying anything publicly yet. But credit to Marab Devalashvili, the longest win streak in this bantamweight division with the UFC, the clear number one contender. He's a machine. Cardio for days never slows down. And he's become more entertaining on yeah. social media. So you should definitely check him out if you haven't. But uh, I think he's doing a good job marketing, marketing himself now and putting himself in a position to be, I wouldn't necessarily a superstar. He's got to earn that through just the performances. But... He's putting himself as a name, a household name in the UFC. Yeah, and he has that momentum behind him now. 
yeah, a couple of other big things that I saw at UFC 298 was Ian Gary remaining undefeated, beating the always dangerous Jeff Neal. Ian Gary's now bumped up to the number six man in the welterweight rankings. I really think they're going to place him with Kobe Chaos Covington next. That just makes way too much sense. And yeah. Robert Whitaker does it again, solidifies himself, still at the top of the UFC middleweight division, beating Mr. Secret Juice, Paulo Costa. That was a great fight. Very entertaining. That was my fight of fight the night. Fight of the night, for sure. Yeah. Um, who did they give it to? The Mackenzie Dern, Amanda Lemos. It should have been Paulo Costa, Robert I know. Whitaker. So back and forth. And how Whitaker withstood at the end of the first round, Paulo Costa landed a crazy head kick that had Robert Whitaker on chicken legs, I know. on skates. He was shook. If there was five, 10 seconds left of the round, Paulo might have been able to finish him. But yeah. say by the bell. I took the words right out of my mouth. But I know this weekend, on the flip side, it was also the NBA All-Star game. I mean, there's been some criticism on that. Certainly. I mean, what was the score? 211 to 186, the Eastern Conference beating the Western Conference. It was the first time ever a team surpassed 200 points in an NBA All-Star game. What does that tell you, Helen? What's your takeaway when you look at that score? Sometimes I feel that records and breaking records are not necessarily a good thing. And this is a perfect example. I just feel like because I saw there were 42 three-point shots and it's just becoming like the defense obsolete. It's just boring to watch now. Yeah, it's just free flow scoring, nobody playing defense. There's just no effort there. You just don't see those killer instinct rivalries, guys trying to take over the game um, and just, I, I'm better than you, let me prove it. I don't see that veracity out of the young stars. Like I don't see the Anthony Edwards stepping in and the Shea Gilders, Alexanders coming in and saying, you know what? Kevin Durant or, you know what, LeBron, you know what, Giannis, this is the new wave of talent. We're going to clamp down and play defense. This is how it's going to change. And you could just see the NBA over the past couple of years just experimenting with different formats, having team captains, separating East Co Eastern Conference from Western Conference, trying to make this game more competitive, have fan voting and stuff like that. But it just seems like guys are just trying to avoid getting hurt. They're, they're more friends than enemies, and there's just no incentive to have that killer instinct and win this game. It's almost like they just don't care. And the fans, they can kind of feel it, how the players just aren't caring the same anymore either. And because I remember when I was a kid with my dad and younger brother, we used to get so excited for the NBA All-Star Weekend to watch the NBA All-Star Game. And we used to like count down for this. It was so exciting. But now it's like, oh, that happened. You know, it's just like, you just blink and move on. And I will say this on record. I think NBA players collectively are the best talented group of athletes that we have in sports. Just how selective it is to make an NBA roster, having 15 guys suit up versus the NFL where you could have 48, 53 people on a roster. There's great athletes in the NFL. There's great athletes in MMA, great athletes in baseball. But NBA, I think it's so hard to stay on top. And that's why their contracts, their popularity, everything reflects that. But what I'm seeing with the NBA, and I have this criticism, it's just... It's just not the same. The trajectory of the excitement with the fans, it's not going up, it's going down. And even looking at the NBA dunk comp contest, I've always said this too, LeBron James not participating, I think has ruined it. I think it's set a precedent to that these younger stars, hey, we don't necessarily have to compete in the slam dunk contest to be known and get our names heard. And also, I mean, I did go to the University of Arizona. 
I'm a big fan of Aaron Gordon, but I thought he was robbed twice. 2016 and 2020. Yes, Zach Levine had some great performances, great dunks. But if you look at some of the best dunks in the past decade, you go to Aaron Gordon, the things he was able to do. So with the finalists this year was Jalen Brown and Mac McClung. And yes, Mac McClung won back-to-back champ, joining Michael Jordan, Jason Richardson, Nate Robinson, and Zach Levine as the only guys to do that. But Mac McClung plays for the G League team of the Magic. He's not even on an NBA roster. And yes, the dunks are good, but I mean, you get to a point where, you know, putting on other people's jerseys and wearing a football glove and dunking with the offhand, it's like, we've been there, done that before. We've seen that. So I just think the NBA overall just needs to find a way to pivot to make this weekend more enticing, more exciting. Yes, we just had recently for the first time this year the NBA in-season tournament. There's a cash incentive for the winners. The Lakers won. LeBron won. We were there for that. So do you think maybe it's giving these players a little more cash to make them want to care a little more? Well, it's it's interesting because I wouldn't necessarily say, hey, the Eastern Conference wins, the home court advantage for the Eastern Conference team versus the Western Conference team. You have to reward the best team all season long, I th- I'm a firm believer that competition drives everything. Maybe it's money. Maybe it's the timing of the year. Because, look, this isn't the midway part of the season. We're about two-thirds over with the NBA season. This isn't the exact midpoint in terms of games. So, you know, it's interesting because the NFL Pro Bowl, I think, is going through their experimentation phase right now of you know, flag football games, different challenges. Putting this, obviously, is the week and right before Super Bowl at the end of the season. Maybe it's something that you do around the Olympic times, like August, like because there's USA basketball. You kind of involve the All-Star, maybe All-Star weekend involved with USA basketball. I think they just need to switch it up. But if they do that, a lot of the players that will be on Team USA for the Olympics, they won't be involved in it. Well, I'm saying you'll have a lot of the guys there. I think you just maybe extend the summer a little bit. Maybe it's the game that's played before, you know, the official uh, training camp starts for USA basketball. You Maybe it's played here in, you know, bias again, beautiful Las Vegas. Just like how we're saying, have the Super Bowl here every single year. Why don't we have the NBA All-Star game here until we get an NBA team? If that's sooner than later, then we'll pass this to different cities. But why don't we experiment having this game here in Vegas and obviously put some sort of spin to it, put some sort of cash... Um, incentive to it, but we have to do something to shake it up. We have to do something. Yeah, I obviously I agree, and I'm sure a lot of people out there listening agree as well, but my last note on that is for the in-season tournament, because that's already here in Vegas, and they get that cash incentive as well, so it's like, in a way, do they kind of do that twice then? Well, they need to do something, and we're just spitballing on the fly. <laughs> we're just because, trying to figure it out. Because we need to fix this, and as time progresses, we will have a better solution. Yeah, and even Kendrick Perkins, I saw that he said it was embarrassing and disrespectful to the game of basketball. Well, there you have it. But yeah. I digress. And coming up, though, one-star quarterback unfollows his team on Instagram. Stay tuned to find out who. Welcome back, where your hosts Dave Schmullinson and Helen Yee peel back the curtain in the Vegas sports world and beyond. Welcome back to the Schmozone podcast, or the Schmozone live radio and podcast, of course. After this, you can always check it out on lvsportsnetwork.com and follow us at the Schmozone, T-H-E-S-C-H-O. 
M-O-Z-O-N-E. Now, before we went on a commercial break, we were talking about some NBA news. So I kind of wanted to wrap up some NBA talk with some of the big storylines. And we mentioned the Olympics. Now, LeBron James, he just said that he's committed to Olympics, but hopes to end his career with the Lakers. That's interesting, too, because it depends on Bronny and his basketball career, USC and beyond, NBA draft, how the Lakers finish out the season. Do they make the play-in? Are they going to be in the playoffs? I mean, they're just right there on the fringe, so we will see how that unfolds. The Philadelphia 76ers, only as good as Joel Embiid will take them, who's currently recovering from a torn meniscus, and he's likely to return mid-March with about a month left of the regular season. And yes, the Sixers traded for Buddy Heald earlier, and they signed Kyle Lowry, which really did help carry this offense. But at the end of the day, they will go as far as Embiid takes them. Then I look at the Atlanta Hawks, who are currently 24-31. and 31, They're seeded 10th. Trey Young, their superstar, he's in his sixth season. If the Hawks don't make the play-in for the playoffs, should the Atlanta Hawks consider trading their superstar in the offseason? Because it was last year they traded for DeJounte Murray. And his name was discussed all season leading up to the trade deadline, and nothing happened. The Boston Celtics are the best team in the NBA. They're coming off six straight victories leading into this All-Star break. They have number one offensive, offensive efficiency in the league, and they're number three in defensive efficiency in the league. If, and I just say if, Helen, if the Celtics do not win the NBA championship, should they potentially consider splitting up Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown if they come up short as Brown, who recently just signed a $286 million extension, and that was last summer? Just think of the financial implications. Yeah. Doc Rivers, I know it's been short, but already there's rumblings of him not working in Milwaukee. Can he get that figured out with Giannis Antetokounmpo and Dame Dollar, Damian Lillard? And is this season the end of the Warriors dynasty. Steph Curry's been spectacular, but him, Draymond, Clay, this whole new core group that they have surrounding those guys, can they get it figured out? Can they get it done? Can they make the playoffs? So those are my NBA storylines. There's a lot of great storylines, and I can't wait to see how they all unfold as well. Certainly. Now let's move on. Yeah, because before the break, I was talking about one-star quarterback who unfollowed his team on Instagram who – actually happens to be your team, Dave, because you're born and raised in Chicago and that player happens to be Justin Fields. Is this foreshadowing? I get so torn on the topic of Justin Fields, and we're going to play some audio shortly that I was able to get for some NFL legends during the Super Bowl week just on what they would do with the number, number one overall pick. Would they draft a Caleb Williams? Would they trade it and continue to build around Justin Fields? So we're going to hear from that audio real quick, but I will say this. What the Bears end up doing with this number one overall pick is going to completely change and just the entire trajectory of how the first round and the entire NFL draft, for that matter, is going to unfold because there's a lot of teams that need quarterbacks, and I've been looking at a lot of mock drafts, and there's been four quarterbacks taken with the top 10 picks, Helen. But being a guy from Chicago and your diehard Chicago sports fan, is there someone in particular that you would like to see them get? I think I lean towards them going for Caleb Williams. And I've been going back and forth on this. I really think that Caleb Williams, 
could be that generational talent. And this would be going into year four for Justin Fields. And if you look at the statistics, what is the real jump from year three to year four in these young quarterbacks that we've seen, especially if you do that within the past three decades? Like, you know what you're going to get to an extent. So you know what the salary is going to bring, the what you're going to have to pay in the offseason, what you're going to have to continue to build around. Look, Ryan Poles, his reputation's on the line. He is making all the moves right now for the Bears front office. They brought him in. This is his time to shine. What he does is going to make or break his legacy. This is what defines the Ryan Leafs or the Peyton Mannings. That's the type of decision he has to make this offseason, and I can't say that likely. But before we get into the Bears audio, I do want to address our Las Vegas Raiders because they are another one of those teams, drafting number 13th overall, but they need competition at the quarterback position. Jimmy Garoppolo, he's likely gone. He's suspended for the first two games next season for testing positive yeah. for PEDs. With the deal that he signed, he's one year into a three-year deal that he signed last offseason. I just think that the Raiders are going to likely part ways with him, and they're going to need help at that position. I mean, they franchise-tagged Josh Jacobs last year. He averaged three and a half yards per carry. Like, are you going to pay him more than $10 million a year? Likely not. You really need help for your absolute superstar, Max Crosby. Continue getting bodies, pressure on that line, getting it shut down corner, getting some athleticism at some of the positions like linebacker. Like you can do so many great things. If you're the Raiders, you got the number 13th overall pick. But I think a lot of those dominoes are going to fall as they may, pun intended, because there is Drake May. Uh, But the dominoes will fall depending on what the Bears do with that number one overall pick because there's a lot of teams that would draft Caleb Williams in a heartbeat. There's a lot of teams that like May. There's a lot of teams that like Jaden Daniels, the Heisman winner from LSU. I mean, there's a lot of things on the table here, Helen. It's about to get real interesting. It certainly is. So that audio I was discussing earlier during Super Bowl week, I caught up with Chiefs offensive coordinator, former Bears head coach Matt Nagy, Cam Newton, Donovan McNabb, Will Compton, and Kurt Warner? Because I had to ask them that question. So should we kick it to our field reporter, the Schmo, to see what those guys had to say when he caught up with them? Yes. What do you make of the situation in Chicago? If you had the first overall pick, do you keep Justin Fields or do you draft a Caleb Williams, man? That's, that's on them. No comment from you? No comment. No comment whatsoever? No comment. I'll get Justin Fields the help that he deserves. I get him an offensive line. I get him a supporting cast of receivers additional to you know DJ Moore. I'll keep him. I think he's an extreme talent that has the capabilities of being a game changer, uh, but he needs the proper help so that he can become the Justin Fields we know he can become. I'm a, I'm a Justin Fields guy. Now, don't not take anything away from Caleb, Caleb Williams, but it's a lot of pressure on the Bears to do that because of the public. You know, the public talking about going and get Caleb Williams and what that would do for their franchise. They need a little bit more help. So if they did trade the pick back and get more picks and keep Justin Fields and maybe trade Justin if they wanted to do that later, then that would be something. But I, I, I think for the Bears, I like Justin Fields. Um, I think he's shown that he can do different things. What they should have done is go all in and try to get Harbaugh. I know. <laughs> That's what they should have done. God, they should have done that. Uh, dude, I hate to say this, but the way the Packers finished the year, if Kurt goes back to the Vikings, the Lions, 
it could be bad. It could be bleak for Chicago. Let's talk about that number one overall pick. Everyone's talking about Caleb Williams, USC. Is that that generational quarterback? When you put on the game film, do you see it when you see him play? Well, here's what I'll always say, is that you never know what somebody's going to be from one level to the next. We've seen some great college quarterbacks that don't become great at the NFL level. We've seen some average college quarterbacks become great at the NFL. So it's all so hard to project. I think what we've seen with Caleb is that when you watch him in college, yeah, he's a generational college talent. One of those guys that has done things and does things on the football field that we haven't seen very many do. I'm always very cautious of dropping those things on these kids. You know, everybody says, oh, he's like the next Patrick Mahomes. Can we relax and let Caleb Williams just try to figure out how to play? And if he can be special, let him create that narrative on his own. So really good college quarterback. No idea what these guys are going to be at the NFL level, although I hope all of them become generational talents. Okay, so here you have it. There seems to be a mix in that quality group of talent when they th- they talk about what the Bears should do and what Caleb Williams would be at the number one overall pick. Helen, you teased everybody earlier in the show. What were you saying about an NFL quarterback? That he unfollowed the Bears. He unfollowed the Bears, and yes. that was obviously Justin Fields. Yes. So he started following Kyle Pitts, Drake London, B. John Robinson. Obviously the skilled players for the Atlanta Falcons. And then what were you saying, Demond? What was that statistic you were saying at break? Just this morning... Justin Fields has went from plus 150 on this is DraftKings odds, plus 150 to now minus 130 to land with the Falcons. Now, this is moving just last week. He was at plus 600. So think about that swing. Wow. And listen, for everyone who's not in the know, Justin Fields is from the state of Georgia. That was his team that he chaired for and rooted for growing up. Obviously, he went to college at Ohio State, but his legiancy in that city and that team That can mean something. And here's what I want to double down and say, and and you put me on the spot, Helen, and I wanted to wait for this clip to really get into it. I am a Justin Fields fan. I love Justin Fields. I think he is a game changer and is an effective starting quarterback in the NFL. And I think he would do so much better with the Atlanta Falcons than he would with the Chicago Bears. I think he would do a lot better with the change change of scenery anywhere, for that matter. But if you are in the Bears position right now, the problem has always been management from the top bottom. They have not put the right pieces to block Justin Fields, just like they never put the right pieces to block all their quarterbacks. I could even say that dating back to the Rex Grossman days, which was the last time the Bears ended up going to a Super Bowl. I mean, I felt like their offensive line has always seemed to be a liability. Play calling, inconsistency, changing of coaches. You can't build a winning culture when you have so much change and turnover year in and year out. So I think a fresh start is needed. I think Kayla Williams is that guy. And I think he could be extremely successful, just like how I think Fields could be successful. But purely because of the financial aspect of this game, which cannot be ignored, the salary cap and whatnot, you're better off if you're the Bears building around a Caleb Williams with the pieces you have, with the cap that you have to spend, then trying over again with Justin Fields. And that's why I think the Bears should keep Caleb Williams and go for it all because if you look at what's in that division, the Jordan Loves with the Packers, he's the real deal. If you look at what Jared Goff is doing, he's the real deal. The Vikings, what they do with Kirk Cousins or what they draft, they're competitive. We'll see what goes down. You bring up a lot of good points there, Dave. But look, coming up, There's going to be a huge event here, UFC 300. It's now set in stone. It takes place April 13th at the T-Mobile Arena here in Las Vegas. But 
There's a title challenger who didn't even get a phone call for his opportunity to fight at UFC 300. And we're going to speak to that fighter coming up next. Now you're back into the Schmo Zone on ESPN Las Vegas. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to the Schmo Zone here on ESPN Radio Las Vegas. Our guest today is the number two ranked UFC welterweight, Bully B, Bilal, remember the name, Muhammad. What's up, Bilal? Hey, what's up? Hey, before we went to break, I was going on an epic rant about Justin Fields or Caleb Williams. I know you're a Bears guy, you're a Chicago guy, fight out of the great city of Chicago. Are you a Justin Fields guy or Caleb Williams? I think I want to stick with uh, Justin. I think we just need to get the right pieces around him. And if we get Marvin Harrison Jr., I think we'll be straight. Would you take Marvin Harrison Jr. with the first overall pick? No, I would trade him down, get to get some more picks. I think we'll be able to trade him downward. I think there's, there'll be some people that want to get that number one pick and get Caleb Williams. Uh so hopefully we can get a couple more picks off of it. We'll see what the Bears do. I think the official season starts March 13th. Um, we differ on that, but uh, I want to get into some MMA. Helen's got some questions for, me, for you right off the bat. Bilal, we just saw you, I think, like two weeks ago at the Celebrity Sweat Flag football game. And I know, Dave, as the schmo and I, when we interviewed you, we were talking about, you know, when could we see you return to the Octagon? I know your fans, they're kind of anticipating. But the shocking news that we just heard was that for UFC 300, you know, when Dana spoke in the post-fight press conference and he said that there were three names offered to Leon Edwards, and I believe the rumors reported out there were Hamza, Shavka, and maybe Islam, but your name was never one of the ones offered? Uh, no, I mean, I was never offered that wow. for 300. Uh, but honestly, when I look at it, right, I look at it, I try to take the positive with everything. So what does that tell me is that three guys turn it down. So three other guys just turn it down. And if they really wanted Leon Edwards on 300, they know the guy who would have said, yeah, and it would have been me. So I don't really think they really cared about Leon being on 300. Um, and for myself now, it's like, okay, well, those three guys just turn it down. So if you are going to rebook Leon for a title fight soon, I wouldn't go to the three guys that just said no. I would go to the guy that continues to say yes and, Never said no, ever. So uh, I'm looking at the positive light of this whole thing. Yeah, and that's great. I'm glad you're keeping positive. But have they offered you anybody or any dates so far? Um, no. There's, I mean, I think they know and as well as I do that there's nobody else for me to fight. But Leon and the title fights, there's nothing that makes sense. I mean, I still have the, the, the video of Dana saying you're next. And 100% Bilal's fighting for the title next, guaranteed. So I'm just going to take him at his word. And Leon's not booked, so that tells me that that's still available. And uh, I think that it's going to work itself out. I love the way you put that, Bilal. That's such a great way of thinking about it is now you know three guys turned it down. So why would the UFC go back to those guys, regardless if it's 300, 301, or whatever, you're the guy. You're the most deserving. You're on the win streak. You're the one who fought short notice the last time the UFC had a pay-per-view card in Miami. You beat Gilbert Burns. You did your job. Um, you're the guy. You're the most deserving of it. And I just think that uh, 
your mindset for what just happened and everything is meant to be is meant to be. He's not headlining 300. It's a different fight headlining 300. And you are very well just just as much as it's mixed as you've ever been before. Yeah. I mean, for myself, I look at everything as everything happens for a reason. Everything's done for a reason. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I've gone through the trenches. I've had the, the longest win streak in a division besides the champion. I think me and Leon is a easily sellable fight, uh, the two highest. Winning streaks, I think, in division history, and we have history with each other. And like you said, I beat Gilbert Burns. I took that fight on three weeks' notice with, during Ramadan. So people were coming out. Oh, he probably said no because he doesn't want to fight during Ramadan. I fought Gilbert Burns on three weeks' notice during Ramadan. So and I fought multiple times during Ramadan. So not, I, I would have said yes, hundred uh, percent. But now I don't have to. Right, that's the positive thing. Now I could enjoy Ramadan uh, the way it's supposed to be enjoyed and. I don't have to sit there and focus on a camp or anything. It, it honestly, it's it's only gonna be worse for Leon because if I'm him, I'm like, yo, give me Billy B. That's guy, next guy. Let me fight him during Ramadan. Uh, when I would assume he's probably at his weakest. So I think that in the end, it's only gonna make it worse for him because I'm been training for him for the last two years. I knew I was gonna be fighting him eventually. Ever since he won and beat Usman that second time, so all I've been doing is training for him. So I'm only getting better and uh, picking up new little things that I'm doing in the gym and growing and just going to be a different version of myself every time I go in there, and now it's going to be the best version of myself when Leon fights me next. Well said. I remember being there at the Apex a few years back where you guys have unfinished business with the unfortunate eye poke. Have to run it back. You both knew it that night, and eventually it's going to come. Wanted to ask your opinion because I know you're also at UFC 298 in Anaheim. What did you make of Ian Gary's performance? He's been in the news a lot lately uh, for the wrong reasons. Everybody just seems to be very toxic when it comes to him, his stardom, his his family life. People just have all these negative things to say, but he goes out against a very tough opponent and Jeff Neal, and he got the job done, and he's now the number six-ranked guy. What did you make of Ian Gary this weekend? Uh, Yeah, I mean, I don't really take a lot of that family stuff and like I don't like I don't think family should be brought into it uh especially when you're talking about a guy's wife and kids uh performance wise I think the way he said it is like he had to fight him a certain way for Ian Gary he had to he had to fight Jeff Neal a certain way obviously Jeff wanted to be in boxing range and strike him I thought Jeff could have did uh some more stuff I thought he was letting him off the hook a little bit whenever he would break the distance and back out but Gary did a good job of avoiding huge strikes uh, staying on his lateral movement, using his lateral movement, using those knees up the middle, uh, kind of like what Shafkai was doing to Jeff Neal. And he did what he had to do to win, like he said. I think people just, you know, people are always going to hate on any type of performance. But for me, strategy-wise, that's the way he had to beat him. Unless you you had uh, some grappling in your back uh, pocket, but I don't think you really did. I think that that was the way he had to fight him, kind of like, Wonder Boy, but Wonder Boy just it looks way prettier when Wonder Boy does it, right? Where he was using his lateral movement and striking when he would come in. Uh, but Gary, I thought he did well. And after he even called out Colby Covington, do you think that's the next fight to make? Um, I mean, I don't think Colby will fight him. I don't think Colby's going to fight anybody in the, the top five, top ten region. Uh, I think he's just going to sit out and wait for something big. Maybe the UFC will give him another title fight. But, yeah, I think if I'm Gary, I'm going to 
stylistically, I'd rather fight Kobe than I was than Sean Brady or who else would who else would be in the mix? Maybe Shavkat, but yeah, I would definitely fight Kobe out of everybody in the top five because I do think it's the easiest fight in the top five, and obviously he has a big name. Um, but I think stylistically, I think Gary will end up piecing him up, especially with the way Kobe looked his last fight. We're speaking with Bilal Muhammad, the number two ranked UFC welterweight here on the Schmozone Radio, ESPN Las Vegas. Bilal, it was over the summer. We were sharing the same hardwood, the same basketball court. You, myself, <laughs> and at the time, the UFC light heavyweight champion, Jamal Sweet Dreams Hill. He ended up tearing his Achilles. Not necessarily from what happened that game. I know it contributed to it, but things were hurting for him for a long time when it comes to that Achilles, and it finally ended up getting torn. His name is now thrusted in there. He's fighting Alex Pereira, UFC 300, not 301, which is going to be in Brazil, but UFC 300. He's the main event for a loaded card for UFC 300, the most notorious card to date in UFC history. When you heard that news, what was your immediate reaction? Man, I was pumped. I was pumped for him because we were, we were actually training in that morning uh, on Saturday, and he told me, yeah, I'm going to get to 300. But he's like, you can't say nothing. And I'm just like, all right. But I'm like holding it in because I'm like, you know, obviously I'm pumping my boy. So he's like, yo, we got to train. And I was like, why is he so thirsty to train? <laughs> uh, I was like, well, I'm in California. Let's go for a walk or something. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, we got some work in. And he was like, told me. And I was like, oh, man, I'm pumped for him. So, yeah, obviously a year off for him. It sucked having to deal with that whole thing. But, I mean. Like, everything happens for a reason right now. He's headlining the biggest card in UFC history, 300. He's going to make history with it. So, uh, yeah, it couldn't be – honestly, it couldn't be any better, right? I just hope that uh, it stays intact. I hope that, you know, it's not too soon and he doesn't, like, rush anything or uh, uh, re-injure it. I'm just, I don't want to jinx anything. But, yeah, he felt good. We looked good when we were uh, moving around at Sparring and, and Cali. So, uh, I'm pumped for it. I think the matchup stylistically is a great fight. I think it's going to be uh, fireworks. And stylistically, how do you see it playing out? I think Jamal, he, people underestimate how like athletic he is and how he moves differently and how he strikes differently. Like when we were going, we were like boxing. And I was sitting there like he moves kind of like a lightweight. He looks and he hits hard. So uh, for a guy like Pereira who st- usually stands very still and he gets hit a lot, uh, he'll take one to give one. Uh, I, honestly, I think it's a perfect matchup for Jamal. The only issue is obviously the, the low calf kick. So he just has to figure those out, uh, avoid those, especially coming off a, a leg injury. But like I said, Jamal moves so good, right? We've seen him on the basketball court. And we're like, dang, this guy is one of the most athletic guys in the UFC. And I think when you see his knockouts in the UFC, like Johnny Walker, where you just put him to sleep when he, that guy had a lot of hype and, when he hits guys, it, it, they just react differently. And we also seen in the Glover fight uh, that he had grappling, right? We saw that people thought that Glover was going to take him down and be over, and Jamal showed that he did have jiu-jitsu too. And uh, we had that whole storyline with it too. He beat uh, Pereira's coach, mentor, Glover. So Glover's going to be there. Glover's been in there with him. And Glover could tell Pereira some certain things, or we, or Pereira probably saw some certain, certain things in there that he thinks he could exploit. Yeah, I mean, it is such a great, intriguing matchup, and you nailed it on the head. I think that Jamal Hill might be the most athletic fighter in the U.S. He's certainly probably the best basketball player. I know 
Phil Rowe got the MVP, but it could have been different if Jamal played the whole game potentially. It's such an interesting matchup, and I think you nailed it as well. That low calf kick, it's going to be very, very interesting to see how he defends it, how shifty he is, what he's going to do, but you cannot say enough good things about Sweet Dreams Jamal Hill for him to be put in this position, to accept it, to be ready to go, and to how he got here in the first place. Dana White, Contender Series alum, and he's just, you know, I believe he's the first Dana White Contender Series alum to ever become a UFC champion. Yeah, I mean, and like I'm thinking back to like the literally the three years ago or something like that, like we would just go to a different UFC event and he'll just like fly in South Holland. He'll just be at all the events just to get his name out there and get some fan interaction. And, you know, he was unranked at the time and we would just sit there and talk about it. And it'd be like, bro, we're both from Chicago. We're both going to make it. And he always had the mentality that he was going to be the champion. So seeing him in there. And then even when I was, uh, when I fought Damian Maya in Arizona, he fought Paul Craig that day and we both rode the bus to the arena at the same time uh, that fight day. And then, like, just his, his mentality on the way to a fight. He was just chilling, listening to music, and, like, it didn't even look like he was going to a fight. And, you know, he lost that day, but he was still, that night, shaking up with Paul Craig, didn't take it to heart, and then went on a long streak after that, got the title. So, like I said, man, the his mentality is bulletproof. So people will say what they want. I know he goes to war with some guys on Twitter, haters and stuff, but it's, it's funny to me. Uh, but I think all of his daughters and his, uh, the people that underestimate him, you know, he wins this fight, they're going to realize how good he is. Like, the Glover fight didn't open enough eyes, but I think with this one, they'll be like, all right, all right he is the man. Well said. Bilal, we'll get you out of here on this. When we do get to see you fight for the welterweight title against Leon Edwards, and you do what you firmly believe you are meant to do and set to do, how do you think you're going to react holding UFC gold around your waist? I mean, honestly, like I told you, I told Helen last time when we were at the, the flag squad game, like I think I'll literally probably like, just once I had the, my name with a contract that says fighting for the belt, I think I'm going to cry. Because I, I know the result's going to be, and I know everything it took me to get to this spot. So just having the contract and the date and the poster ready that's just going to be enough for me because I know, I know what the result's going to be no matter what. I'm going to get this victory, but the hard part is getting there first. All I need is my shot, and once I get my shot, I'm not going to let it go. Bilal Muhammad, remember the name, the number two ranked UFC welterweight. We appreciate you coming on the Schmo Zone. Thank you so much, Bilal. Thank you, guys. Appreciate you. Take care. Yeah, and I definitely think he is obviously the most deserving to fight for that welterweight title next. And I truly, truly, truly hope that he gets that title shot. And it was awesome to hear what he said about Jamal Hill. He was rolling with him, training with him in Anaheim that morning. He told him, so he held it in. Yeah, he Great was, friend, yeah, pulled the, the secret. And look, we were on the same basketball court. We did a, like <laughs> a little celebrity basketball game over the summer with a bunch of UFC guys and some former NBA players that yeah. DC Daniel Cormier brought to oh, the court. Oh, yeah. I mean, my he was claim, trying to cheat. I yeah, think. I mean, what did I do? I, I, I scored a three in that game, and uh, I got fouled, and I made the foul shot. Okay, that was wow. my claim to fame with that game. So, Dave, you're telling me you <laughs> – congrats, by the way. You have not only played basketball with the best UFC fighters in the world, 
but you've also played basketball with Floyd Mayweather. Yeah, speaking of basketball, Evan Turner is FaceTiming me right now. Up, oh, I'll just put that aside. It's too late. <laughs> okay. Because he's a big UFC fan. I was calling Evan earlier to talk to him about the NBA All-Star yeah. game and whatnot. Uh, we'll have him on a future show. But. And you played with Adam Pacman Jones? Yes. He you played basketball player. with everybody. Yes. Well, not well, but I played basketball <laughs> with everybody. Was that, that was your favorite that. sport growing up? Like my favorite play? sport. Yeah. I mean, it's the uh, being the schmo has its perks, Helen. Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes. But it was great talking to Bilal and also getting his insight on your Bears. The Bears. He thinks that we should keep Justin Fields. I'm not necessarily opposed to it. I just gave my case for why we should draft Caleb Williams and trade Justin Fields, just in terms of the monetary reasons. But either way, I think the Bears could win a Super Bowl regardless, with or without Caleb, if we have Justin Fields. That's what I'm saying. But we'll see how it goes down. Um, also, fun fact, uh, the Schmo partnered with Ford Country here and the Valley Auto Mall. Check them out. 280 North Gibson Road, Henderson, for some awesome vehicles. Um the Schmomobile we just partnered with. I'm gonna be doing some Schmo content, Schmo on the go. Yeah, can't Shmo wait to can't wait to show you all some fun creative things we're doing. I saw that post on your Instagram yesterday with the Schmomobile or Schmobile. I don't know. Schmomobile. Okay, right? Schmomobile. But that looked pretty freaking sick. It'll be cool. We'll go around, do interviews that we could play right here on the Schmo Zone. With unique insight, unique stuff. Hey, right? We may be able to take that Schmomobile out this week. Maybe. You want a joyride? Sure. Why Where not? Where are we going? Where are we go- wherever you Wh- want. Which athlete's house? Because we're going to them. We're going to an athlete's house. We'll talk about it maybe next show. Yes. Okay. Sounds like a plan. Awesome. You're listening to the Schmo Zone ESPN Radio. Follow Helen at Helen Esports. Follow me at the Schmo 312. Follow us at the Schmo Zone. We are out. Some people just know the best rate for you is a rate based on you with Allstate. Not one based on Carol. She's more focused on hitting a high note than the car in front of her. Why pay a rate based on anyone else? Get one based on you with DriveWise from Allstate. Not available in Alaska or California. Subject to terms and conditions. Rates are determined by several factors, which vary by state. In some states, participation in DriveWise allows Allstate to use your driving data for purposes of rating. While in some states, your rate could increase with high-risk driving. Generally, safer drivers will save with DriveWise. Allstate Fire and Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates Northbrook, Illinois.